Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by singer, songwriter, and artist, CJ Solar. We had a great time talking about CJ's journey, which began at a young age when he started a band with his two brothers. Throughout high school, it was being in bands and playing solo and also songwriting, something that took him to Belmont University where he studied songwriting. Now, before he even graduated, he received a publishing deal as he signed with Seagale Music. And then in 2016, he received his first cut with Jared Neiman's Blue Bandana. In 2018, he scored his first number one with Up Down from Morgan Wallen featuring Florida Georgia Line. Now, we had a great time talking to him about the journey and really walking the line between songwriter and artist as he celebrates the release of his own new album, The Future's Neon. So please enjoy our conversation with CJ Solar. I wanted to know about your family because I think I saw that both your parents were doctors. Were they? Was that sort of the family structure? Yeah, so both my parents were OBGYNs, um, you know, baby delivering doctors. So yeah, that was uh, it was that was pretty, I guess, interesting uh, growing up around that. But uh, but yeah, um, but they you know so they had both played music. Um, my dad had played a little guitar when he was a kid, and my mom played piano as a kid. But then obviously, like they like, you know, grew up and went to medical school and you know all that kind of stuff. Became doctors, so they you know kind of set music as to the side. But oh, okay, uh, my dad, my my mom always kept a piano around. And my dad had his first electric guitar that he had gotten um, when he was a kid that was still kind of laying, that like he kept in his room. Um, so I, I remember um, seeing that guitar when I was really, I was about seven and I kind of got drawn to the guitar and I was just like, man, I don't know what it is. It seems cool. Like I kind of want to learn how to play this thing. So um, I started kind of beating around on it a little bit. And um, when I was, you know, after a little while of just playing around, they 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 found me uh, somebody to take some lessons from. Stan was your guitar teacher, and you lost him in 2020, and it sounded like he was a pretty influential man along this journey. So I just wanted to ask about him and how he has influenced you, how he did before his passing last uh, two years ago. Now, I mean, just you know, uh, everybody knew who knew Stan. He was just the most upbeat, always stoked to see everybody kind of person you know but one of the, just like the best guitar players I've ever known and, and seeing just the dude could play any genre shred anything I mean just a great and, and a great teacher and um he really helped like get me starting to play live because he would play he played out all the time so like me and my little brothers played music together growing up so he would have us come sit in with his bands and like you know it was really really cool and when, when I got into high school we started doing like a duo together so I would play acoustic and sing and he would play like you know so, some you know he had a piezoelectric kind of um electric guitar but that kind of sounded a little acoustic-y that it, like we would play like gigs together and I would play the songs and he would you know rip the solos but he was also like no you solo that you know so he's always pushing me to be better and um just yeah just a, an amazing teacher and and friend and super supportive of you know me moving to Nashville and chasing the dream and um you know and always trying to like from a especially from a musical standpoint trying to like um especially when I was first writing because I was writing songs in high school 
uh, trying to push my songs to be more musically inter- interesting, which was really cool. So yeah, just a, just a, just a great guy and, and a great friend. And, you know, 2020 was hard. He got dementia a little bit before that. So it was, you know, I, I was, was tough losing him. Um, and, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, major, major influence on me. Right. And within your guitar playing, you mentioned finding your dad's. Now, what was your first guitar? Like that was yours. Oh man. My first electric guitar, I believe was an Epiphone SG that I actually in middle school let a buddy borrow and he never gave it back. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. So I think that was the first electric guitar my parents bought me. Um, And then um, after a few years, um, they got me a Paul Reed Smith, um, if you're familiar and they're kind of, um, beautiful guitars. I still got, uh, I still got it. Uh, and my, I got my, all my guitars hanging in my closet back here. <laughs> nice. Looks great. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks dude. So yeah, it's a fun place to store all of them. But, um, but yeah, so my parents, my first nice guitar was a Paul Reed Smith, which, you know, that's kind of more known for like, I don't know, Santana, which my, my guitar Stan was a, was a big, Santana fan and he was a big Paul Reed Smith guy so he kind of turned me on to Paul Reed Smith but um and then I and then a little while later kind of really got into Gibson because Paul Reed Smith kind of sounds like Gibson's a little bit and that that kind of was like my my the the sound that I liked um was kind of that that a little that humbucker sound so but uh but yeah so I guess I don't know uh uh Epiphone SG was really I guess my first guitar my parents got me the electric guitar I, I think I had a little baby acoustic guitar kind of like some of these ones laying around but yeah so and I saw at one point it was later in your career I believe that you had traded in one to buy another one that you wanted now I was talking to Scott Stevens the other day and he mentioned that he had done that but later on in life he had regretted it because he wanted that one back and so have you ever done that gotten rid of one and then you're like oh why did I do that yeah so actually one of the ones over my shoulder um, it's funny. I mean, I, I've done it a lot, <laughs> but, uh, one of the ones over my shoulder, it's crazy. Yeah. This one down here at the bottom in the middle there, oh, okay. I had one just like it. Uh, when I was in college and you know, it's, it's funny, these, these vintage guitar values really just like everything else over the last couple of years have just skyrocketed. And, but even while I was in college, you could get those for like 2,500 bucks. It's a 59, uh, Les Paul Jr. Gibson. And I, I sold it for like, 4,500 bucks. And then I was like, Oh, well, I, I, I still want one of those. Now they're all 4,500 bucks. So I had the right. opportunity to have one at 2,500 bucks, sold it for 4,500 bucks, ended up having to turn around and buy another one at 4,500 bucks. So yeah, it's uh, you kind of just as early as you can got to snag those things because they're just, they're just going up. I mean, maybe with COVID, it seems like a lot of those um, prices of kind of those things are kind of simmering off a little bit, but yeah, I mean that they all went up, but yeah, I definitely have regretted selling some guitars, but um, I just kind of look at it as part of of the journey, you know, it's like, Hey, you know what? You loved it. Obviously there was a reason I sold it. Um, and, and really that one actually had a couple problems. So I was kind of glad that I ended up selling it and then getting one that I, I believe was a little bit better just with some minor things, but, uh, you know, you just, yeah, I, 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 I try to, uh, what was, uh, live, laugh, love. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, Hey, you know, if, 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 if something slips away, was meant to be so that's kind of how I look at it but um but yeah I uh I've been buying and selling guitars since I was really in high school um so I've just always been a kind of a guitar head but yeah it's a it's 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 a fun hobby and and you know kind of side thing to actual to to making music is you know collecting guitars for me 
Right, absolutely. And now before I dive too much into the music, I don't want to forget to ask about your grandma. I think it's your grandma on your mom's side. I've seen pictures on social media, big hair, big glasses, and it would really make my day if you told me she had a big personality to match. Oh, dude, the biggest personality in the world, dude. So she's actually turning 90 uh, here in a couple months. Um, and she's, she's still so with it. Um, which is really, you know, a blessing to, to, to have a grandparent who's like, you know, still really mentally there and, 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 and still around. And, um, it's really cool. And, you know, she, she's a a heavy church of Christ lady, so she's never smoked or drank or, you know, she's somewhat eats healthy. So she's always like, you know, not smoking and drinking is the key to living more, you know, (laughs) you know, I think it's genetics, but, uh, but you never know because there's plenty of old people that smoke and drink every day. But uh, but yeah, so she's she's great and she has the biggest personality. And um, yeah, she's she's a she's an amazing lady. And um, I, I love getting to go see her. So yeah. that's awesome. And now you have two brothers and a sister, I believe. And you and your two brothers played music growing up, you mentioned, and you created a band. Now, within growing up, where did that love of music come from for the three of you and just the skill to be able to do it at that young of an age? Well, I, you know, my parents just love the music that they grew up listening to, which I mean, everybody does, but I feel like that was just some really amazing stuff. All that classic rock that, um, you know, as, uh, as the kids call it today, boomer music, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Leonard Skinner, uh, Allman Brothers, Creedence Clearwater Revival, especially the stuff that sang, um, about, you know, Southern life kind of stuff. That was really always the things that, that I connected with most growing up in Baton Rouge. I mean, how Creedence Clearwater Revival, the song Born on the Bayou was like my anthem as a kid. I love that song and a big Adam Sandler movie guy. So Waterboy when, you know, Born on the Bayou was in that movie. And it's just like, you know, that was just like, I love that stuff. And, and my, my grandparents love that stuff too. And, um, you know, and, as, and, and, and my dad's, my dad's parents, you know, they were, they were kind of more on like that, um, a little more, my grandma, especially on my dad's mom was like a big outlaw country, you know, she loved that kind of stuff, you know, uh, the Willie and Waylon and, and like Elvis, that was kind of like her stuff. So grew up kind of playing a little bit of that stuff. And then the classic rock, but especially the stuff that leaned in the kind of Southern rock ish direction um, was always kind of uh, stuff I leaned towards. Right. And how did you guys sort of fall into a band? Like, did you all just gravitate towards different instruments or did you sit down one day and talk about it? Well, it's funny is um, I started playing guitar first. And I think my little brothers got jealous that I was like, that my parents liked the fact that I was playing music. Okay. So they were like, well, we want to play something too. And my parents, and, and I think they were like, well, we want to play drums. So they both started playing drums. Um, and then my parents were like, well, you know, it'd be really cool if one of you would play bass. <laughs> So one of the brothers was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll play bass. So, um, cause then they were like, well, this sucks. Like only one of us can really play drums at the same time. And my parents were like, well, you know, you guys could all play together if one you play bass. So, um, Cody, my, one of, one of the, so my little brothers are twins. They're two years younger than me. Oh, okay. So, um, they both were playing drums. And then, um, the one that was a little bit, Cody was like a little bit more with it really on both instruments. And they're like, yeah, you'd probably pick up bass easier. So he picked up bass as well and um yeah so the three of us were playing and and it was kind of it was fun we a lot of times we'd go in and they started taking lessons too so we'd go in and take lessons and uh they would both uh 
we'd all learn the same song. It'd be like, oh, let's go learn Baboon Rising this week or whatever, you know, Korean song. And then right. we'd come home and we'd practice them together. So we started practicing these songs together. And then we were like, hey, we've got like, you know, two hours worth of songs that we've learned and can kind of play. So um, there was a little seafood restaurant like a half mile from our house. Where, and um, they started, let, uh, my, my parents, I guess, convinced them to let us uh, come sit in the corner and play some songs uh, sometimes. So you know, it was kind of, I'm sure it was horrible. I'm sure I feel bad for anybody who had to listen to us while they were just trying to enjoy a shrimp po' boy. But, uh, but we, you know, we had fun getting to go. And, and, and a little bit before that was when my stand started getting us up to play, uh, with his band. But, um, but yeah, so we just, uh, yeah, started, started playing a little bit. And, um, you know, we did that for a couple of years, almost every weekend we got to where we were playing most weekends all over the place, all over Baton Rouge and surrounding areas. And, um yeah that was, it was it was a lot of fun I think my little brothers got a little burnt out on it because they were like man I kind of wish I could hang out with my friends on Saturday night instead oh, of going okay. and playing three hours at a Mexican restaurant you know <laughs> right yeah uh, so so they kind of got a little burnt out on it and um I was loving it I was like hey we're making money playing because we were getting paid too you know you know 100 bucks or whatever a night or whatever you know so I was like by the time I got to high school I was making you know a couple hundred bucks every weekend um and you know not really having any expenses so I was like Hey, I love playing this and it, you know, building the chops up for playing three hours gigs like every weekend. So, um, and then me and Stan started doing the gigs together. And then I, I, uh, I met some guys in high school and we had a band. So I had a high school band, my little brother's playing with me every now and then me and Stan doing duos. So I had a bunch of different people I was playing music with just, um, playing all kinds of stuff. So. Right now within that high school band phase, there's one event I want to talk about so the battle of the bands in high school you're playing a show and apparently tell me if this is true you were wearing your granny's leather jacket and your mom's leather pants is yeah, that right you did some digging dog <laughs> yeah so my mom has these white leather pants and i had my grandma's red leather jacket and um yeah we played uh we played a bunch of rock stuff like i mean like like we played an Incubus song and like we ended with Freebird and a bunch of other, like, I think we played a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. So my high school buddies were like newer stuff. Um, so we, we did a little classic rock and some newer rock stuff. Um, and our senior year, um, when we, we did one, I, I think we did one junior and senior year. So we won, we won our senior year, they had, you know, the battle of the bands or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that was the year I wore the, the white leather pants. There's, there, it's funny. One time when we were in college, I had, uh, the, uh, some of the guys, you know, my drummer Nick has been playing with me since college, and uh, we were playing um, a little residency in Pine uh, at Pineapple Willie's in uh, Panama City, Florida, and uh, we pull into town, and there's a billboard, and it's like CJ Solar Band at Pineapple Willie's, and they had that, and they had a picture of me from that high school battle of the band, really? <laughs> the red leather jacket and the white leather pants. And I was like, <laughs> where did they get this picture? Like they had to like deep dive on Google or like my like high school myspace myspace page or something i was like where the hell did they get this but it was so funny like pulling into panama city and seeing cj solar pineapple willies on a on a billboard and i'm wearing that that ridiculous outfit so it was kind of funny uh, that's hilarious and so classic rock seemed to be a big thing and newer rock you talk about playing incubus so when did country music start to enter the picture for you so um, when I was in middle school, you probably read this because it's in like every interview, but so in middle school, 
Um, my parents were like, hey, we've heard Nashville's a cool town. Like, let's go up and um, just do like be tourists in Nashville. So we came to town and we went to the Grand Ole Opry. And the night that we went, Blake Shelton, Brad Paisley, and Dirk Bentley were all playing that night. And I remember watching all those guys and going, man, this stuff's really cool. I really like this. Like, I had always kind of written it off. I don't know. I just wasn't like a big on like, I, I thought country music before that, like newer country music to me was like the Dixie Chicks and Garth Brooks. And I just, I don't know. I, I just, as a high, you know middle school kid, I wasn't really into that. But as I started, um, as I saw those guys play at the Grand Ole Opry, I was like, man, this stuff kind of rocks. And like, you know, I was playing guitar. I was like, Brad shreds. I was like, man, this is really cool. So I, I started, you know, researching country music more you know, in seventh, eighth grade. And, you know, I started finding stuff like Montgomery Gentry and Gary Allen and stuff that rocked a little bit more and had a little bit more of just an edge to it. Um, and Jason Aldean was coming out with like Hicktown around then. And a lot of these things were starting to hit. And I remember thinking, wow, this stuff's really good. Um, so I, I kind of really dived a lot into that. So a lot of the stuff that I was playing at like my acoustic shows with Stan, I was playing, I was, I was doing a lot more country music at that time. And then the guys my age, you know, we, 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 we didn't gig that much, you know, we did the band, battle of the bands and like a couple other like high school girls birthday parties or something, you know, where we play newer stuff. Cause they didn't really want to hear country music, but, right. um, but you know, so I was playing country music and, and I started trying to write my own songs around that time, um, middle school and getting into high school and, um, I started finding out, you know, finding out about there being a songwriting business in Nashville. And, and I started, you know, looking up the names on the backs of CDs and I kept seeing Jeffrey Steele. Uh, he was like, and Bob DePiro, they were like two of my guy, like that I started seeing, you know, I, I just started seeing names and I was like, uh, and Jeffrey and Bob especially, but Jeff was one that was like really sticking out as like, man, everything this guy's on is just unbelievable. Um, so, you know, I started becoming fans of certain writers and, um, and trying to kind of like, you know, write my own songs and figure out how to, how to do it. But I kind of had that, you know, a little bit of that Southern rock kind of rock background as well as I started getting into country, you know, in middle school. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, started writing my own songs and, and, and thinking about moving to Nashville. You went off to Belmont. Now, did you study songwriting at Belmont? Yeah. So I was a songwriting major with a music business minor at, at Belmont, which oh, okay. is a, which is kind of funny um, because they were like, yeah, it's pretty competitive, this music business program. Um, but we got this new songwriting program that like, if you can show that you can write a song, you can basically get into it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, sweet. Cause I guess it was just so new. They were like trying to convince people to get, cause it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't an established program. I'm sure it's hard to get into now, but when I was applying it, it, it was like in the second year. So I was going to, I was in like the second year of this program. Oh, okay. And, it was great. It was, a, it was a really cool program. It was basically the music business program without the business part. <laughs> I mean, not the business <laughs> part, but like we didn't, I didn't have to take, I, I don't get it. You didn't get a business degree. So it was a uh, bachelor's of arts or science. I did science cause I couldn't do foreign language cause I didn't know any foreign language. So I was like, I'd rather take math than foreign language. At least math is mostly in English. But, um, so I, uh, yeah, so I didn't have to take, uh, you know, economics or accounting or any of that stuff. So, but we still did music publishing and um, uh, copyright law and some of these more just really honed in on songwriter aspects of music business, which is really cool. And uh, I actually got to intern through that and, at a couple different places. And my last internship was at 
Seagale, which was a publishing company owned by Brad Paisley and Chris Dubois. And um, a couple weeks into that, I ended up showing the VP, Mike Owens. Uh, he, ended at, he was like, hey, we always listen to the interns tunes. If you got anything, want us to check them out, you know, let me know. And I just had my first real demo session where I demoed some songs. And I, so I brought in a CD and was like, hey, dude, like he walked by, you know, like the next time I was interning, he was like, hey, dude, I'm serious. If you got something, I was like, I got it. And he was like, okay, pop into my office. We got, you know, I, I got time for one or two songs. So I had seven songs on this um, CD and um, we sat down and I, sh and I showed him all seven. And he was like, man, I'm not going to lie. Normally the intern's music sucks, but this was actually pretty good. You mind if I show some of the other writers and Chris and, you know, some other people? I was like, please, dude. So that was like a Thursday. Um, I came in on, I, I interned Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So I showed him that stuff on a Thursday, came in on Friday. And he was like, dude, people are liking the tunes. And a couple of the writers came up and were like, man, is that you singing on your demos? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, man, your voice is great. That's really cool. I was like, dang, this is cool. And they're like, yeah, Mike's going to get us some, some dates set up. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'd written with like one published writer up until that time. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, man, I'm about to start getting to write with some published writers. This is really cool. And, uh, and then on Monday they called me and said, Hey, can you come in a little early tomorrow before your internship, you know, before you're supposed to. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I showed up 30 minutes early and they sat me down. They're like, Hey, do you want a publishing deal? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> perfect we, wow. we were looking, they were like we were looking for a you know we were, they were like we we're gonna sign like a new male artist a new female artist and like a hit writer you know this year they're like and we didn't know when we were going to find one but you, you kind of just check all the boxes and and we love your the songs that you've already showed us so we'd love to get you in i was like thank god this is amazing so it's perfect timing um such an unbelievable team um that i had over there especially early on and, um, you know, just did a really great job. I mean, connected me up with um, some of my heroes. Like, within six months, they got me in the room with Bob, Bob DePiro. And, like, he's been, become one of my favorite co-writers. And um, just, saw, you know, just a, re a really, really great spot to be at. And when I was finishing up Belmont, we had, a, as you were interning, you had, like, a coordinator that you had to go, like, check in with every, you know, month or two or whatever. And my guy was pretty busy, like till the end of the year. So I had like an end of the year follow up with him. And he's like, so how'd your internship go? And I was like, well, they signed me. And he was like, what? And he was like, so I guess it went good. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you don't need to do any of that other stuff. If you got signed, like you, you won. And I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> he's like, obviously that went well if they signed you. And I was like, yeah, dude. Hell yeah. He's yeah. like, that was pretty cool. And, um, you know, and, and he was working over at, um, um, Ocean Way Studios. It was the the studio manager was like my my guy, and um, he ended up letting me uh, come and track some stuff on some of my EPs over there for like a discounted student rate uh, after I'd already graduated, which is pretty cool. So yeah, that was um that was cool. That's awesome. So where sort of was your headspace at that point? Because I mean, that's what everyone that's the dream for everyone: go to Nashville and get signed. So were you like on cloud nine, thinking I've made it already? Yeah, I mean, big time. I mean, it's it, it, at least I was just like, because, you know, when you're just beating the streets, writing songs and, you know, that's it, it always seems like there's especially at that point in my life, it was like, OK, there's steps here. It's like you move to town, you network, you know, you, you somehow get attention from a publisher or a few publishers. One of them signed you. So that was the ne that was that was a step. And then the next step was get a cut. 
you know? Yeah. So that was that I had, you know, I had crossed that boundary of, okay, you know, I, I, I made it to the dance, you know, I at least had, now, now I got to get out on the floor, you know? So that was, that was kind of where my head was at, but it was like, it definitely happened, you know, not because I was necessarily, I mean, trying super duper hard. Obviously I was just trying to, and, and I, and I, and I joke that like, I've always just kind of like done my thing and, 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 and good things have, you know, I've just been really lucky really, but you know, you know, everyone's like, Oh, well, talent and hard work. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I work hard. I mean, I, you know, try to write as much as possible and, you know, just try to find talented people to work with or whatever, but I've never been like, okay, well by this day I need to do this. And, you know, I'm not, right. I, I'm not one of those kind of people. So I just got really lucky that um, they were looking and, and I had met with a couple of publishers before that. And they're always like, yeah, the songs are cool, but like, just keep sending us stuff and we'll see. So, right. Uh, so I just got really lucky that I found a champion over there and, um, and just a great company. And um, yeah, so I got, I got in and it was like, okay, well now, now we're off to the races. So um, I, I got in and, and started getting hooked up with all those writers and, you know, CEO had an unbelievable roster and um, ended up making some of my best friends over there. Um, Brent Anderson, who was writing over there, um, unbelievably talented guy who's, uh, wrote Lonely Tonight for Blake Shelton, but he's had a ton of other, um, big album cuts and, and a couple other singles and just, um, probably pound for pound the most talented person. And Michael Hardy, uh, Hardy, the artist, um, we got hooked up within a couple weeks of both. So he, we both signed our deals at like the exact same time he signed at another company, but, um, you know, when publishers are signing new writers, they always hook up all their brand new writers together because it's easy. They're like, all right, well, we're, we, we, it's hard to get you in the big rooms, but we can always yeah. hook the new writers up together. So we got hooked up and just hit it off immediately and started writing pretty regularly. So uh, I was kind of building a foundational crew. I had a couple buddies with Andy Wills that I mentioned and um, a couple other guys, but, um, you know, just started building a, 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 you know, extending my network of, of, of young, younger people that I was writing, writing well with. And, um, and actually right before I had signed that deal a week before I signed my deal, I wrote a song, wrote a song called Blue Bandana with Andy and another guy, Ben uh, Goldsmith. And everybody at the publishing company was like, eh, it's kind of cool, but I don't know who had ever seen that. So as we're getting through my first year, um, I get to the point where I end up having a show and everybody from the publishing company comes and sees me for the first time. And they were like, holy crap, dude, we didn't know you were that good. Like live. They're like, damn, like that was great. And they were like, and I ended with blue bandana. I was like, that was a song I'm going to close it. And I, and they were like, what the hell was that last song? They were like, that song's amazing. And I was like, well, nobody liked it when I first turned it in. They're like, you got to demo it. And I was like, jokes on you guys. I already did. So I like <laughs> within like a week I had it sent to them. And, um, and that was, so they told me they, they, you know, because they didn't like it, they had picked because it was my first session. So the first full session I did at that summer, we picked out five songs to do together. Right. And usually you get into the studio and you got a three hour block of time with studio musicians and you just record these songs as fast as possible. So we were just plowing through these five songs and the guys went, hey, man, it's your first session. Um, you got 20 minutes left. You want you want to do one more song? And I was like, I've got just the song. So we did that as the sixth song in the session. which oh, I OK. Again. So we get in. It's the sixth song. We do it. And I, um, I end up, you know, so I get, I get those demos back and they start running with blue bandana. They love it. The demo came out great and a bunch of different people held it. And it was like, it was getting on hold. And 
it was just, that was a really cool feeling. And I had some holds from that first session, uh, but nothing got cut. Uh, the one that I did that I, that got me the deal. So this was my second session that they were really running with. And um, around Christmas that year, Jared, uh, it, whoever else was holding it, took it off. And Jared Neiman had heard it and loved it. it was Jared it was like, I got to have this song. So Jared, like early 2015, records the song. And... Within a few, and so the, Sony had let go of their president uh, at the time, and, it, and they were being ran by Sony New York. And there were like Blue Mandana and like three other songs. And it was the other three songs were all written by like a combination of Dallas Davidson and Ashley Gorley. So okay. it was like my song, and then three Dallas Davidson, Ashley Gorley songs. So the New York president lady who obviously probably didn't really know a whole lot about the country music songwriters yeah picked my song over over their three songs which of course made me feel great i was like oh yeah so so it ended up getting single so i was like oh my god my first cut is a single on country radio this is unfreaking like this never happens like first cut is a single that because they were like they were like dude chris stapleton had like 150 cuts before he ever had a single i was like You know, they're like, this doesn't happen. Like, it takes year, normally years for this to happen. So, um, so Jared had had already had the donkey thing. So, you know, he had a big. When I first got over there, I could drink to that all night. Huge smash, Pitbull remix. Everything was huge. That record was on fire. Then they single donkey. Obviously, it didn't do super great. So they were trying to come. They were trying to come something fresh. So they came out with Blue Bandana. It was his fastest rising single up until that point. And then Sony hired their new president and he came in and immediately pulled the song when it was like 30 on the chart. Oh, it was no. as fast. So I, I had a, had a single just shoot to 30 and then get pulled. And I was like, so I, I got this, I got that taste, you know, I got a taste. And then it was just like the rug was ripped out from under me and they're like, nah, dude, you didn't work that hard. You don't deserve this yet. Pulled it out from under me. Um, so I got, you know, I got the first really exciting and then, and then big crush. So I got a little crushed there um obviously the experience was was amazing and it was it was a really cool thing to have happen and helped open some doors for me because it was like oh cj just got a freaking single like a year into having a publishing deal so that was really cool and um yeah that that was crazy and then you know that next year um 2015 i had a, i was just riding my face off and starting to play a little bit more starting to play a little bit more shows 2014 i barely played any shows yeah i was wondering about that i was going to ask you about that because you had the cut in 2015 with jared and then you released your ep the next year in 2016 so i was wondering that time frame like where was your where were your expectations of songwriter versus artist? Did you see yourself as one or the or the other, or were you balancing that line? I was basically just at a point where I was like, I don't want to start putting out music that I love. So, 2014, I just gave myself to write, and as 2015 started coming on, CEO was like, "Man, your artist looks really cool. It'd be cool if you did, you know, an EP just to like start getting your name more out there as an artist." So I was like, "Okay, cool. Let's do an EP." So. Um, somewhere in 2015, we were like, hey, let's pick five songs that I've written, you know, and, and that I really like and, and, and go in the studio and cut them and, and put something out. Yeah, so it was just like, hey, you know, maybe let's start putting out a little bit of music, see what happens while still pretty much writing full time. Um, and then I started, you know, trying to get on some shows and I, I got hooked up with William Morris 
um, the booking agent and they started kind of throwing me on some openers. So I, you know, I started being able to get to open for, I don't know, just anybody and everybody that I could, you know, started getting, I think at that point I, I maybe got some, the biggest stuff was like some Hank Jr. openers, which was really cool. And some other things like that. Like, I think I remember doing Old Dominion and Dustin Lynch and Michael Ray and a bunch of those guys. And that was, you know, it was really awesome. Like, experience getting my feet wet hardy was actually playing in my band at that time yeah so. i was gonna ask about sort of your journey with him and he, yeah you, you met him when you started writing and then he played yeah. in your band for quite a few years yeah so so the, the craziest was so we were writing one day on a wednesday was our day and my bass player called me and he goes hey dude i know we we're playing this weekend but i can't make it and i was like dude we leave on like thursday or friday and he was like i think we were gonna leave I think we were going to leave Friday and then we had um, like a, a, like a random, like two show thing on Saturday, hard to explain. But anyway, so we had like two things on Saturday. Right. And I was like, Oh dude, you're kind of screwing me here. And he's like, sorry, emergency can't go. So I'm sitting there with Hardy and I'm like, yeah, dude, like I got to find a freaking bass player to learn my stuff. And he's like, well, how long are you playing? I was like, 45 minutes just I think we were opening for like Chris Cagle or or Michael Ray or somebody and uh he's like well he goes I can probably learn bass 45 minutes worth of your tunes and I was like and we'd written Tallboy and a couple other songs together and he's like I know a couple of them already so he's like screw it dude I'll come play bass for you so he comes on the on this trip and we just have a blast and you know just being friends already it was just a great my drummer nick you know so it's just like man i had two 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 great friends we were traveling and i had a little van at that point and it was like let's do it so um so he was like well dude if you want me to keep playing bass for you i'd, I'd gladly do it and i was like all right cool so uh we did that for probably you know two two and a half years um you know doing that so during that time we wrote um which i guess we can hop to some other stuff but during that time we wrote up down and some girls together and right. a ton of other songs that I ended up putting out. And um, let's go from there. So in 2017, you had up down with Morgan Wallen that went number one. And then 2018, some girls with Jameson Rogers that went number one. Now as a songwriter, and especially, I mean, you had had your first cut in 2015 with Jared and then only two years later, you get your first number one. So as a songwriter, what does that mean? Well, so, 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 so Up Down came out in 2017, but didn't go number one until 2018. Okay. Some girls came out in either 2017 or 2018. It didn't go number one until November, 2020. Right. So, so the, the time it takes so long for these songs to go number one, because their, their lives are so long at radio. Uh, so 2018, that summer, was when Up Down came out, but so I remember Hardy um, at the end of 2017 was like, "Hey, I'm gonna start doing my own career," which I was like, "Yeah, dude, you should have been this whole time." So he's like, "All right, I'm stepping out. I'm gonna be writing heavier," and he was getting starting to get to do some of those FGL songwriter bus weekends. Right. So he was starting to do that, and he's like, "Man, I, you know, I don't want to juggle." You know, he goes, "I'm gonna start focusing on my own stuff." So anyway. He steps out and he goes and does the Key West Songwriters Festival in 2017. Okay, so that was the end of 2016, I think, maybe, that he stepped out. So early 2017, he's playing the Songwriter Festival, and we had written Up Down, I think, the year previous, and he was like, 
So he's playing the he's playing the songwriter festival, and Seth England, who manages FGL and Morgan at the time, um, is like, dude, I love that up down song. Like, can you send me the demo? So Hardy sends Seth the demo. You know, I think it's in May every year. And then, like, it's funny. So Seth and Hardy are keeping in touch. And Hardy's feeding me the info. And he's like, hey, dude, uh, at QS, Seth wanted a copy. And I was like, oh, cool. About a month later, June, he's like, hey, Morgan cut it. And I was like, oh, crazy. Text me in July. And he's like, hey, dude, uh, FGL singing on it. That's pretty wild. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. You know, and then in, I think August, he texted me. He goes, hey, dude, it's officially the single. Comes out in november i was like whoa okay so then i'm you know i got three months of just going wow okay i got a single coming but who knows and he had had the way i talked but it had only gone to about 30 so it was like you know hard to predict that more that he was going to be the biggest thing in country music yeah uh, so set i remember uh hardy texted me on my birthday and sent me the the final cut of it and i was like hey dude happy birthday so i got to hear it on my birthday which was super cool and then in November it came out and I actually got to open for Morgan in December um, at Stoney's in Vegas, which was pretty cool. And I got to see him play it live, which was dope. And then that next summer, you know, and, and there were only like 50 people at that show. So it was a really small show. People didn't really know him, you know, end of 2017. So 2018's coming around and that song's just burning up. On, it's just, you know, by, by summer, when the song goes number one, that song's just everywhere. It's an earworm and, um, it was really cool to be like, dang, got my first number one song. This is crazy. You know, within, you know, I guess about four years of having my publishing deal, um, you know, I moved to town in 2010. So I was like, okay, eight years in, got a number one. Uh, so that was really cool. And uh, it was great, you know, getting to share it. You know, Brad Clausen's on the song too, but, you know, getting to share it with, with Hardy, having, you know, gone through all the stuff that we had, you know, playing together on the road and all that stuff. So it was really cool to get to, to share that with him. And we knew the songs that we were writing were special and, um yeah and that was really cool and then um you know so hardy starts doing his artist thing explodes and jameson was another buddy of ours and we would have um we'd play the listening room and you know the bluebird and and we'd have um songwriter nights on my deck in my backyard oh, okay and we'd play past the guitar around and i remember some girls was just a song me hardy and jake mitchell had written that we were pretty hot on and we were like, man, this is cool. We've gotten held by a bunch of different other artists, but you know, never got cut. And Jameson was like, dudes, I love that song. If I ever cut an EP, like I want to cut that song. And we were like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So um, I think he put the song out in 2017 and then, you know, Luke Combs kind of took him under his wing, took him out on the road for two years. Ends up, you know, he signs with Sony and Luke Combs thing. And, um, they stick with some girls the whole time. They're like, this is the single, this is the single. So I think in 20, early 2019, they go to radio. So all 2019, they go to radio, 2020 things closed down. They stick with the song <laughs> and they continue promoting the song all year. So this song got promoted for like over 18 months to radio. Wow. I think November of 2020. So was re which was really a silver lining of 2020 for me, which was like, you know, obviously a terrible year for everybody. But I was like the whole year, I was like, dang, I got a song on the freaking charts. Like, you know, I was like, you know, even though the world's closed down, I was like, at least I know I got something cool kind of going on. And I, you know, with my artist career, you know, 2019 was a great year for me. Um, I had, a, you know, an EP in the, that was in the middle coming out. I got to play the Grand Ole Opry for the first time at the end of that year. Um, 
I had a single with Jameson. I just had a, my other, another number one. Um, I had a Jason Aldean cut that came out at the end of that year. Um, so I was, I was really, I had two Texas number ones that year, which was cool. Uh, one of them was my buddy, Mike Ryan, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of Mike and um, another with Kyle Park is a, a good friend too. But, um, but yeah, so it was just, you know, I had a lot of stuff really cooking and, and COVID was a, just a obviously huge bummer. Cause I, I mean, Jameson was really lucky that they had already done so much radio visits in 2019 that he was already like at least established enough for radio to keep playing that song. Right. I knew I had a lot of friends too, that were like in the middle of a radio tour early 2020. And if they didn't finish that radio tour before the world closed down, their song didn't get to go full send to radio. So James got really lucky that he had already done all his radio tour and the song was still going. So they let it keep going, but radio stopped kind of taking new artists songs when when they, you know, got to, uh, if they hadn't done a full radio tour by the time the world closed down. Right. So, um, so that really stopped for me just kind of, cause I had a lot of momentum going and I had a full EP and I, I was planning on putting that EP out, like, I don't know, like April. So I ended up up 2020. So I ended up delaying it a little bit until that summer. And then I, you know, I put that EP out and like, but unfortunately I really just didn't get to promote that EP very much. And it was just such a, and you know, TikTok was blowing up and I wasn't really on there. And I was just like, not in a great headspace. I had started, you know, I kind of started doing the jujitsu, you know, later 2020 and, um, you know, got a freaking dirt bike and a scooter and was just like, <clears throat> you know, I was, I don't even, I was writing maybe one song a week because we, we had to write on Zoom all pretty much all 2020. Yeah. It was like basically nothing but Zoom writes. And I really didn't love writing on Zoom. I got lucky a couple times where I wrote songs I really loved, but it was just a harder process because um, it just, you know, it's not very musical because you're basically only one person can really play guitar because of the the lag. And, you know, I'm just such a going with the flow and, and really jamming with my co-writers kind of person. Um, so that was a, a hard year for me. Um, just, you know, so anyway, so towards the end of 2020 and 2021, I was like, all right, I was, my deal with Seagale was coming up summer of 2021. And I was like, okay, well, I've got a handful of tunes that I've written before that. And I, I, Seagale had been the label for all of my, my three EPs before that. And they were for sale. So the company was for sale. There was a lot of stuff just kind of up in the air and my deal was coming up. And I was like, I think I'm just going to, you know, a lot, most of my team that had signed me or been there, you know, for for the first half of my Seagale career was all gone. So I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to try to find a new publishing home. I'm going to spend my own money and go record an album of songs that I love that I either wrote before COVID, which I was really only two songs. And then a lot of others that I wrote um, on zoom during COVID that I did like, and just hopped in the studio and was like, all right, I'm going to make a record and just see what happens. So, um, you know, early 2021, I think I started this record, maybe that summer got the recordings done and then um, have been in the process of, of starting to release that, I guess maybe late last year slash early this year. I've been in the process of, of getting that record out. I guess it was earlier this year. So um, my fourth single um, from the record comes out this Friday and then the whole record comes out two weeks from this Friday. And the record's called The Future's Neon, which um, my buddies Blake Griffith and Jim McCormick, who are both Louisiana guys, they, they split time between Nashville and, and Louisiana. 
we were riding on Zoom and they were like, we were talking about, it was, and this was during COVID, everything's closed down. And we were like, man, what do you think, you know, things going to be like? And Jim McCormick goes, dude, I think that as soon as the world opens back up, there's going to be just a lot of neon and country music, you know, listeners, fans um, world. I think people are going to really be hitting the concerts hard once things open back up. And uh, we were like, man, that's kind of a cool title. The future's neon or whatever. So that kind of, I feel like was kind of the, my thought process behind that record. It was like, man, once the world opens back up, I want to have a record to go, you know, just kind of like, of like great country music that really, um, you know, is for fans getting back out, going to shows and kind of celebrating that a little bit. So, um, but, but, but one of my favorite things about this record is that I feel like every song is so different. I feel like it's my most diverse record I've ever done where I got stuff that like really rocks. I got stuff that sounds like nineties country. I got stuff that's a little more blues heavy. I've got, you know, some, some Eagles you feel and stuff. So I've got a lot of, I feel like every song has a different, a different vibe, but I still feel like it's, it's all me. So I'm really, I'm really excited to, for everybody to get, you know, to get the whole album out, but um, the singles are really fun. And, you know, I'm trying to learn how to do TikTok and all that stuff to promote it. So it, it, it's, it's been an experience and um, other than Craig and my booking agent, you know, I'm, I'm you know, that's, that's the extent of my team. So I'm, right. I'm doing all the stuff myself and, uh, obviously my band and uh, uh, my, my roommate Tom who does some video stuff and helps me out um, but you know so it's a it's an experience being an indie artist is a is a crazy experience and, and you know fortune the songwriting stuff has been you know a, a blessing and, and really um, when I was moving to town you know Sam Hunt and you know even as far back as Luke Bryan and before that the the path seemed to be write some hits for some other people and then labels will take notice and you'll get a record deal and then they'll take you to radio. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of people who have done it. Yeah. And unfortunately with my timing is the internet has just changed all of that to where now it's more should prove proof that you can, you know, become famous on the internet before like we really don't care about necessarily the talent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just become famous on the internet and we'll take you to radio, not Absolutely. Right other people. So obviously there is a little bit of that with, you know, Ray Fulcher and some other guys that are, you know, attached to really big artists. Um, but it's a little bit less, Hey, show us you're really talented by writing hits for other people. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's more about the, uh, about the online presence. So just, just the way the world is, it's always changing. So I'm, uh, working, working as hard as I can getting some, uh, social media game, uh, trying to get that on point, you know? Right. And so what does the future hold between, pushing yourself as an artist and trying to get your music out there and then having your publishing deal and doing as much writing as you can to continue to get cuts. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to find that right balance between, you know, cause I, you know, up until COVID I was a five day a week or writer and then hop in the van on Friday or, you know, whatever, if I had shows that weekend, go play the shows that weekend, drive back Sunday, do it all again. I mean, that was my, you know, no days off kind of schedule. Um, so now just trying to have a balance where maybe I don't burn myself out writing five days a week, maybe two or three, and then try to focus on getting some content because, you know, I had some, I had a radio guy listening to my tunes once and he goes, dude, I've dived in on your EPs. And he goes, this music is unbelievable. And he's like, are you writing five days a week? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, dude, you don't have a good music problem. You have a marketing problem. You know, he's yeah. like, your music's amazing. You just got to get it out there. And I was like, yeah, dude. So just trying to find that right balance between, promoting myself 
and still creating new music and yeah, while trying yeah. to, you know, write for other people and write for myself. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've kind of, you know, done a little bit of everything, but you know, the songs that usually find life are ones where I'm like, I would record this myself. So, you know, just trying to write the music that I love and whether I pour it out or somebody else puts it out, just trying to, trying to write stuff that, that I truly enjoy um, making and, and playing and listening to. Um, I, I think most people want to make music that they like enjoy listening to themselves. It's kind of just like your process is like, yeah, I want to make the music that I like. So uh, fortunately I feel like I make music that is relatively commercial because I like commercial music, but you know, just good country music with kind of a Southern rock edge is kind of where I feel like my, my foot's at and, and is kind of um, something that not everybody has, um, you know, so just trying to, just trying to, you know, balance all those things. But, you know, I, I, I'm definitely wanting to lean more into the artist stuff um, just because I, I love playing and I love playing my own songs and, you know, writing the songs for the other people is, is, is very rewarding because you get songs out there, but um, I don't know, just, I feel like, you know, those are boxes that I've almost checked a little bit. So I'm like, right, yeah, box is like get a song on radio that I'm singing. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm already working on another record and, um, I feel like this next project's going to rock a little extra heavy. So, um, nice. cause this, this one like has a couple of so- some soft moments and that next one, I'm just like, I got a handful of tunes that I've been writing lately that are, uh, I got a new buddy that I'm really loving working with, um, named Caleb, who's just an absolute beast. And, um, we're writing some stuff that's just so fun. Like it's just super fun stuff. So I'm really excited to, to be working on that. But yeah, I mean, I love this record. Obviously it's funny by the time a record comes out, I, you know, I've been sitting on it for like a year, year and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it just takes a while for these things to, to come out, but um, you know, always excited about the next thing. I'm always creating new music and um, yeah, it's a blast. Thank you so much once again for listening and thank you to CJ for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new album, The Future's Neon, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out us wherever you stream your music. You can find us on any streaming platform. So just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow and even maybe leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. You can also head to our website to sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content like an acoustic performance from CJ. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.